Now, without trying very hard, if we look at our entertainment culture, we can see lots of different models of uh, how to be a father, or if, uh, if you aren't a father, how you expect to be a father, or how you should relate to your kids. I think of uh, Peter Griffin or Homer Simpson. And uh, now a lot of people here probably don't care for Peter. They say, why are there so many dads on TV that are bumbling and stumbling fools? Where are all the great dads on TV? Or where are all the great dads on TV commercials? Every TV commercial has a dumb dad and a super smart kid. And, um, and like, it's just, it's just the thing. Oh, you're so smart. Anyway, so, um, but the interesting thing is the portrayal of dumb, stumbling, inept dads didn't start with the coming of the television or modern media. It goes all the way back to the Bible. Now, the biblical record shows us this, bad fathers. There's a lot of bad fathers in the Bible. There are dozens and dozens of fathers in the Bible who were inept. They were not great. And over their lifetime, they just weren't the kind of people you would want to be around. You know, the bad dads weren't invented with someone like Family Guy or on these commercials or Homer Simpson or whatever. The first bad dad goes back to the very first dad, which is Adam. You know, like from Adam and Eve. And Adam left for his descendants something called original sin. What is original sin? Original sin is the idea that people generally take good things in life and they turn them into ultimate things. They prioritize those things above everybody and everything else, which leads to anger and disappointment and selfishness and abandonment and all the things that come along with doing what I want to do. And the result of that inheritance is that most fathers in the Bible and throughout history were failures. You just think of the terrible favoritism we see in the Old Testament. Abraham favored Isaac, and Isaac favored Esau, and Jacob favored Joseph. Noah, you know from like Noah and the ark, he was considered to be an embarrassment to his sons later in life. There's a guy named Eli who was a, a priest who loved his sons so much that he wouldn't discipline them. And the, the kids got out of control, and then there was judgment upon him and his family. We see King Saul. King Saul was the very first king of Israel. This guy was so bad that he was such a tyrant and he was so threatening that he threatened to kill his own son, Jonathan. Who threatens to kill their own son? Not a good dad. Uh, David, he was a pacifier. You know King David? Maybe you've heard of King David. He's like the most famous king of all of Israel. He was a passive father. He was so passive. He was so much refused to discipline his children. His family was destroyed by what? incest and murder. The biblical account shows that there's a lot of things happening that are the opposite of what we thought dads would be like. We expect when we open the pages of the Bible to see that sons and daughters being mentored and cared for, reaching their fullest potential. But instead, what we find in the Bible are stories of bullies and drunks, people that are easily deceived, fathers who passively fume with anger. And so, what if you had a dad like one of the ones we read about in the Bible? You had a father. He was an inept father, a father who played favorites, an addicted father, a bully for a father, an angry father. Or maybe you had an absent father. Like your dad wasn't around because he worked long hours or your dad was absent through divorce. What if you had a biological father who like, helped make a baby, but physically or emotionally was absent from you growing up? What if you had a bad dad or an absent dad? Here's the biblical message. There is hope for the fatherless. Or 
you know, let me just add this. What if you're like a single mother here? Or what if you are, were raised by a single mother? Uh, you know, what if you were forced to do this thing on your own or you were in a home where it was forced upon your mother to do it on her own? And I said this at the beginning of this message, and I'll say it again. For those of you who are in a relationship with Jesus, there are no determinisms. There are no inevitabilities. We are not doomed and our children are not doomed if we had a bad dad or if we had an absent dad. Why do we know this? Well, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, he says this. Look at this. He says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Determinism, the belief of inevitability that we must turn out a certain way, that we are destined to become like our fathers, that we are destined to be a loser, that we're destined to be broke, that we're destined to have all the same issues that our parents had, has been broken by the saving death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And single moms, if you were raised by a single mom or you are a single mom, all is not lost on your child. I think of dads who never sit down and teach their children about sex or give them advice about friends or handle how to handle conflicts or how to manage their money. I think of dads who have explosive tempers or who get drunk or who hit their kids or can't hold a job or dads who have no moral training or no godly example. Mom, whatever your child, whatever her, mom, whatever your child's father is like, whether your dad uh, dad was in the kids' lives or not, or whether he was emotionally or spiritually absent, you can still grab a hold of God in prayer for your son or daughter, your grandsons, and your grandchildren. God hears the prayers of mothers and grandmothers. You can set a godly example. And for those of you who had a, a bad dad, for those of you who had an absent father, do not listen to the lie that you cannot have a good relationship with God. Do not listen to the lie that it's impossible that you can have something with your heavenly father just because your dad was bad. You can have a warm and wonderful relationship with God regardless of what your human dad was like. Regardless of what your dad was like, it doesn't determine your direction. It doesn't determine your future. It doesn't determine your hope. Your father may have been abusive. Your father may have been demanding. Your father may have been critical or a perfectionist or neglectful or selfish or absent. But I tell you, by God's spirit, he is so powerful. The, he is more Your heavenly father, your heavenly dad is way more powerful than your earthly father will ever be. You do not have to. And this is the issue. We sometimes we project up onto God, our father, the issues that we have with our own dad. You can have a relationship with God, your father, but you cannot, you don't need to put what you experience as your humanly father onto your heavenly father. You can still enjoy a relationship with God, your father in heaven. Amen. All right. Sure. Cool. Thank you. Thank you to the back area. Yes, that's right. And by the way, I need, I feel like since we're a new church, we need to continue to say this. You can be involved in what I do. It just doesn't have to be me. So if you're like, yeah, come on. Or if you're like, yeah, say that again. I'll do it. I swear. I swear. I swear I'll do it. Be like, yeah. Or, but if you're constantly like, I've been t- you, if you're a copious note taker and you're like, uh, you're like, yeah, I missed the last one. Hey, could you repeat that? Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, you know, so just, but you can get involved. Come on. We can be involved. We're just a family here or whatever. I don't know. So, um, 
So you can still enjoy a relationship with God, your father, regardless of what your relationship with your human father was like. Look at, again, what Jesus the Messiah says. And this is what, uh, this is what Isaiah uh, was saying, that the Messiah who is to come is going to show us what God our Father is like. So we don't have to rely on the imagery of what we think a father should be like based on our humanly father, but Jesus is going to come and he's going to set an example that's really different. He's going to show us what dads are supposed to be like. That's why we read, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The reason Jesus came to earth this Christmas, in the Christmas 2,000 years ago, why did he come down? Well, he wanted to show us a few things. What it, he's a wonderful counselor, that he's a mighty God, and he's an everlasting father. He came to show us God, our father. And this is huge. So Jesus comes down to earth. He's raised by Mary and Joseph. He becomes an adult and he starts his public ministry. What do I mean by that? It means he goes out in public and he starts healing everyone. He basically, if he was here in the modern day, he would go to a hospital and he'd clear out the hospital. He would heal everyone and the hospital and the doctors would be like, there's no one left because he would heal everybody. And so this is what he did. And then he would talk about what God is like and what the kingdom of God is like. And there's this scene between him and one of his disciples named Philip. And it says this, there's this dialogue that really kind of highlights this. We can pick this up in John 14. He says this, it says, if you really know me, you know my father as well. Interesting. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me? Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the father living in me who is doing his work. So Philip is saying, Jesus, show us the father. I've never seen a picture of a good father. The only fathers I know are broken and angry and dysfunctional, and they don't do what they're supposed to do. And Jesus, if you could just show me a picture, I am so broken and I'm so sinful and I just can't figure it out. I distort even the good things that you might have for us and God, the father might have for us. I just can't see it because of the, my experience, my cynicism with real dads. Jesus, I'm so thirsty. For the father. I have such a deep father wound in me. I have such a huge hole in my heart that hasn't been filled by my father. The absence of the father. Jesus, just show me the father. And I think this is the issue for some of us here. We were desperate to see a real image of the father. But the problem with that, the difficulty with this is that uh, we need a new God. Some of us come to church and we hear about a God who's so wonderful and he loves us and he has a wonderful plan for us and he's here to help us with our struggles and we hear it in our brain, but it doesn't compute in our lives. Why? It's too difficult to hear about a God because of what we have experienced at the hands of our earthly fathers. And here is something painful that you might need to hear that you might not want to hear, but it will help you. The reason you have so many struggles and the reason you have so many uh, unmet needs is because you have the wrong idea about God. 
You think that God is up there and he's like a disapproving God. He's ready to hit you over the head with a baseball bat when you mess up. He's ready to yell at you. He's ready to get in your face and tell you you're not worth something, that you can't do what you were meant to do. You are, you, you, or you, you see God as someone who's super far away, super uninterested in your struggles. He's not interested in you. And the God you have been looking to is difficult to follow because you believe too much and you've projected too much of your earthly father upon him. Friend, you, if this is you, you need a new God. And Jesus says to Philip, that's precisely why I've come. I'm showing you a new picture of a new God. I came to give you, Philip, I came to give you something that's new for you, a new picture of God, a perfect view of your heavenly father. So who is this new God that Jesus shows us? Well, according to Jesus, uh, he shows us the father. Now, here's something interesting. Now, uh, in ancient uh, Jews, they had this notion of God the Father, and uh, God is mentioned as Father only 15 times in the Old Testament. And, uh, but God never referred, uh, but, but God is never referred to as the Father of any individual. Most of the time in those references, when you use the word Father, it's a reference to uh, the nation of Israel. And so here's the revolutionary thing that Jesus did when he talks about God. For the first time in human history, Jesus uses a phrase to describe God the Father that no one ever used before. Jesus calls him Abba, which means dad or daddy. And Bible scholars will tell us that there nowhere else in the entire wealth of devotional literature produced by ancient Jews do we have any instance of a Jewish person turning to God and calling him Abba, my father. The first Jewish person that we have ever recorded saying Abba, father, dad, daddy, is Jesus of Nazareth. And the word Abba, this is sort of like something that you would pick up from a babbling of infants. They say Abba, Abba, the way we would say dada or dada or daddy. But it doesn't just mean daddy. It also is a word that a young child would use. It's a familiar word, uh, but it would also be used to describe disciples when they were referring to their uh, rabbi and his teaching. Uh, Yet the term was so intimate and so familiar that no Jew until the time of Jesus ever used the word Abba when they were speaking about God. Calling God Abba was revolutionary. It was a revelation of God that Jesus gave to his followers. And it was so powerful that a generation later, in a non-Jewish context, Christians were still calling God Abba, Daddy, Father, Daddy, Dad, because of their beloved Father. Jesus' practice of kneeling down and praying to Abba, Father, left such an impression on the disciples that a generation later, They were teaching other people to pray and use the word Abba, Daddy, Dad. Here's the truth. None of us had perfect fathers. The Bible seems to indicate that the fathers in the Bible weren't that good. And none of us as men are ideal fathers. And if we expect to be dads, you're going to be okay. You're not going to be that great. You're going to be okay. You're you're not going to be ideal. You're going to be good. I'm sure you're going to be great. Because you go to Pacific City Church and you're learning how to be a dad. But other than like, you're not going to be perfect. You know what I mean? Yet Jesus reveals to us the ideal picture of a father, Abba, Abba. Jesus uses the term 172 times it appears on his lips. And only twice does it appear on the lips of anybody else. And both of them were in response to Jesus using the word father. So if the reason Jesus came was to show us a crystal clear picture of God our father, Abba, 
dad, what do we see? What is he like? Well, Jesus says in revealing God the Father, uh, we see a few things. First, we see that he's generous. That God the Father is generous. It says in uh, Matthew 7, it says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I'd like to give you a test, a simple way for you to know if uh, you are trusting uh, or view God as being generous. Here's how I know. Do you tell God what you really want? Do you ask God for what you really want? Do you reveal to God what's going on secretly in your heart? Do you tell God, do you say, Abba, Father, this is what I want. Are you willing to be that vulnerable with God? Are you willing to be that specific in your prayers? And this is generally the test that we can use to, to determine if we actually believe that God is generous. And if you were to take a blank sheet of paper and you were to take some time and you were to write out everything that you want, everything your heart really desires, are you willing to pray those bold and specific prayers to God? Or instead, do you just pray generalized, abstract prayers that nobody could tell if they were answered or not? Maybe you know these. Lord, I just pray for a serene soul today. And then, like, you never really know if you get the serene soul. I've never known anyone to pray that, but maybe you do pray that. And if that's you, this applies to you. So, like, or God, grant me the ability to be peaceful as I travel on the 405. Lord, just help me in my day. Amen. I can hear Jesus responding to this and saying, like, no, tell Abba what you want. Tell him. Some, for instance, some of you want to get married and you're not married. You don't have to hide from God that issue, that question. I'm struggling now. I'm frustrated, God. I'm not married and I want, I want to be married. And I'm not saying that you turn it into an idol in your life. And you know, I'm not saying that like you could never be happy until you find a spouse. But what does it look like for you to have a specific prayer and go to God and say, you, you know, and say, God, I want to be married. Will you, will you pray to him and be specific? Some of you want your marriages to change. Some of you are not, some of you who are married, you want your marriages to change. You say, would you say, is God the Father generous enough to heal my marriage? Can he change me? Can he change my spouse? Can he rekindle the love that has fallen off from, be specific. Can you pray to him and ask for that? And some of you actually want to see a loved one come to know Jesus. Maybe you've been thinking about them more this Christmas season. Pray specifically. Trust that God's generosity will be there. Ask God for the specific thing, whether it's in your ministry, whether it's in your family. Ask God for specific miracles. That's a way I would encourage you to test God's generosity this Christmas. So not only is he generous, but we see that God the Father is affectionate. I think of the story of the prodigal son. Uh, if you don't know it, it's a story about a uh, guy that gets a little bit older. He comes of age and he goes to his dad. He says, Dad, I want my inheritance now before you die. So in a strange turn of events, the father actually gives him that inheritance. And he goes to a faraway land and he paints the town red. He blows through it, through everything on wild living and, and uh, all different kinds of things that would be destructive for him until he's completely broke and everyone leaves him behind and he sinks lower and lower. He ends up bank bankrupt. He's humiliated and he's depressed. And then he makes a decision, he says, to go back home and try to maybe just work for his dad because that's, at least that's better than what he's experiencing. And it says this in Luke 15. It says, 
I will set out, this is the son talking, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And then in one of the most loving scenes in the whole Bible, we read this in Luke 15, verse 20. It says, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Friend, when you pray, this is the God you're praying to. You don't have to project up onto the sky, uh, no matter how good your dad was or how bad your dad was or how like, unlikable your dad was. When you pray, you are praying to a God that looks and feels like the prodigal son returning and that father. God, your father, wraps his arms around you and he holds you tight and he hugs you and he kisses you and he says, welcome home. That's the kind of father in heaven we have. And by the way, if you're a dad or you plan to be a dad, if you're an expecting dad, congratulations. Um, if you're a dad in this room or you plan to be a dad, this is a great model for us as dads to be loving, to be warm, to be affectionate, lots of tender touch. This is really helpful for us. We should do that. Uh, but anyway, that's what we see. So not only do we see that, ge- that he is generous, that he's affectionate, we also see that God, our Father, is purposeful. Uh, there's a wonderful story in a book uh, written by Gary Smalley. It's called The Blessing. And it's a helpful book on parenting. Uh, and it's pretty readable. And it, it contains some wonderful, important insights about, um, about being purposeful with children. Uh, and Smalley writes, there's a woman named Seidel, a, wo- a young Jewish mom, and she's walking around. She's pushing a stroller, and she has two infant twins in the stroller. And as she rounded the corner, she sees her neighbor, Sarah, and Sarah says, my, what beautiful children. What a blessing, Seidel, that you have such beautiful children. What are their names? And pointing to each child, Seidel says, this is Benny the doctor, and this is Reuben the lawyer. <laughs> um, I, am I getting the laughs from the one Jewish girl in the crowd? Yeah, I think I am. <laughs> so um, if you don't know why she's laughing so hard, you should meet her for hot cocoa afterwards, and she'll tell you all about it. But this is a funny kind of story about this is what you know Jewish mothers do. And, and so here's this woman who had a wonderful plan for her children's life, and she pictured a very special future for them. In a much more profound way, in a much more real way, God our Father doesn't crush our dreams. He doesn't like put us out. He's not like many of our earthly fathers that says, if you'll never amount to anything, you're trash, you're garbage. You're not worth anything at all. You're bad at this kind of thing. You're bad at math, just like me. You're a loser. You're stupid. You are a failure. Instead, instead, our Father in heaven says something different. He says it in Jeremiah 29. He says, for I know the plans I have for who? For you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to make fun of you. Oh, Plans to, like, mock you and tell you you're no good. No. Plans to, like, put on you what my father didn't give me. You're not going to amount to anything because I wasn't anything. Right? Or am I misreading this? And are we misreading this? No. His plans are to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you hope for your future. 
And you would say, maybe you would say to me, Chris, if my heavenly father is so generous, what's going on with my life? If he's so affectionate, why? And he's so purposeful, why? Why isn't my life working better than it is right now? Well, there's a number of reasons for that. Maybe you say, you know, hey, I've been out of work or I'm not like, I don't like the work that I'm doing. I've been sick. I've been lonely. I have financial problems. I struggle in my marriage. What's the deal? If you're so purposeful, what's going on, God? If my God, my father is so generous and so affectionate, is so purposeful, why am I not seeing any of that stuff in my life right now? Brothers and sisters, we completely miss the point of a loving father because often we interpret trials and tribulations and difficulties uh, different than what God intends for these things. The Bible tells us that there will be trials and tribulations and difficulties that we will experience. But really, the proof of God's love is that he's with us. He's with us in these things. Here's what we see, uh, and here, I'm going to dial, uh, dial this in a little bit more. Look what it says in Hebrews 12. It says, And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that uh, addresses you as children. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his child. Many of the things we experience and the many of the things that we're going through are what uh, C.S. Lewis, a famous Christian writer, would say. He calls them God's severe mercies. Hardships are often proofs that God loves us. Why? Why should, if you say, why should we be going this? The writer of Hebrews says this again, a little bit later, he says, moreover, we all had parents who, we have all had parents who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? Our parents disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on. However, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Some of us who had dads who disciplined us physically, corporal punishment, and it hurt because they were angry. We had dads that screamed at us because they were embarrassed of us or they were irritated or they just had a hard day or they neglected us or maybe they were just absent. But it is not so with God our Father. God disciplines us. If you want to be a Jesus follower, you're not going to get away from God disciplining you. God disciplines you. He, and what does that mean? He allows difficulties to come into your life to move you to a place of complete holiness. God is trying to make you better. He's trying to change your thoughts and your attitudes and your words and your reactions so that they don't become more like things that are broken, but they become more like his son, Jesus. God, our father, puts us through the paces to fit us for the kingdom of God. And so he, even though you might be facing difficulty, he has a purpose for your life. And here's that purpose for you. It's your total and complete healing. Everything, not just your physical body. Say, oh, you know, I've been sick with a cold and someone prays for you and you get healed. But God wants to heal what's going on in here. Why you say you th the things you say, why you do the things you do, your immediate reactions, how you're going to respond at the Christmas dinner with the family member who does the thing with the thing. God wants to heal you from that and change you from the inside out. He wants you to become emotionally healthy 
as a person. And he wants to prevent anyone from being able to steal your joy. He wants to break all your sinful reactions. He wants to make you more patient, more kind, more loving, more generous, and more gentle. And this Christmas, this God the Father, this is hope for you. Whatever your father was like, God our Father, who is revealed through Jesus, is infinitely better. He's infinitely better than any other image we can come up with, Father. And one of the reasons that God sent his son to earth is to show us a true father. And I know in my heart of hearts, and you know, that you need a father that loves you as much as God loves you. That is the truth. Let's pray. Will you join me and stand, please?